Hi, and welcome to Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. Please join us as we explore how you can enjoy a happier life and a fulfilling career, things that aren't always that easy in our modern world. We'll be taking a look to how you can explore well-being both inside and outside the workplace, how to prevent burnout, how to achieve true happiness in work and life, and so much more. So stick around. everybody and welcome to this episode of Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. It's good to have you with us because we are talking today about a very important topic, something that's actually very dear to my heart and I suspect it's very close to Sarah's heart too. We're talking about autonomy and why it's so important to us in our lives and in the workplace. So Sarah, tell me, what does autonomy mean to you? Oh, it is. I think it's one of the kind of, say, three to five top things in a great workplace, a great work culture. Um, it's very important to me. And, and, and I think it means knowing what you have to do and then having the ability to choose how you do it, when you do it what you're doing, you know, to an extent, um, but also having the tools and resources to allow you to to choose um, the mechanism by which you achieve what you're trying to do. Mm. Um, And uh, I think Henry Stewart calls it freedom within guidelines, which I, in a workplace context, which I'm a big fan of. How are you? What does it how what does it mean for you, Jenny? Well, I think it means exactly what you've just described. Now, I've been telling people I'm unemployable for years. (laughs) I I do not like being told what to do. And I'm very much um, self-driven and self-motivated. And that's why I've basically been self-employed for as long as I Mm. have been. So having that sense of autonomy, being able to do the work in the way that I know is going to allow me to deliver my best thinking um, and being able to be of greatest service to other people is really important to me. I can't imagine what it's like to work in an environment, and I've been in many environments where I see this, where people don't enjoy that level of autonomy, where you know, mm-hmm. in order to have a decision made about anything, you have to go through this committee of about 15 people. And and you think, well, doesn't common sense tell you that but you're not allowed to always demonstrate your common sense in these things? Because, <laughs> and it's it's not their fault. It's just the way that the the that particular workplace culture is set up. But yeah. I think what I think has become more apparent, especially with the pandemic is that people have been given greater autonomy, especially when we were sent home to work from home instead of having to front up in an office space. All of a sudden, we were the ones that decided when we started work, when we finished work, how we did our work. Now, sometimes there were constraints about that too. I do do get that. But I (laughs) I think it's really fueled something because now there's a lot of talk about what do we don't want in the future of work? And yeah. I think autonomy is now recognized as being a fantastic 
business strategy and a competitive advantage because rather than trying to constrain everybody to work a certain way, it's not about giving free reign, just go forth and do whatever you like. It's like like you say with, with Henry's quote about the freedom within guidelines, it's saying, okay, well, this is what is expected of you by a certain time in a certain yeah. way, but how you get there is up to you. That to me yeah. is what autonomy is all about. And I think it's terribly important. And I think we sometimes underestimate just how important it is. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, when you, as soon as you start to tell people how to do a job, and this is in your personal life. I mean, who who loves it when their significant other or their parents tells them to do something, then tells them how they have to do it? <laughs> what do you want to do then? Fine, do it yourself. <laughs> I start. You're listening. no longer engaged. I'm not listening. You don't want to do the thing. Yes. And so, and for me, again, you know, we're the same people at home that we are at work, and so that transplants as soon as we take away people's ability to choose how they're doing things they check out yep. and that you know there's a couple of things that come up for me around that the first one it's so important what you said about yes it is autonomy is not a free-for-all you know there are some anarchists among us who sometimes <laughs> like and I look I look at you Jenny uh in your description and I can lean towards the anarchist side you know where no I want complete freedom um but most people prefer freedom within guidelines it makes you feel safe you know where the boundaries are um and you know what is expected of you and when you have that and I like to call it a maybe fence is the wrong one the wrong word but it's a it's a guiding and you have to have all four sides to it this is something i've learned as a manager if you only give people one or three sides if you don't completely enclose those guidelines there's still no psychological safety people don't quite know and if it's budget or deliverable times or outcomes or feelings or expectations um that's your job in that leadership management uh, decision-making piece to be very clear and then let them be. You're there to offer support and assistance. Uh, you're there to help them. But if you let them go, that's when creativity gets unleashed. And there was an interesting, um, someone told me a story and I, it's children on a field. If the field has no fences, children will congregate in the middle and they won't explore out to the edges. But if the field is surrounded by a fence, hence my word fence, they will go all the way to the edges and explore where it is. And again, safety and you know how our brains work all feeds into that. And so I think in the workplace, this idea that you know autonomy um, could be is chaos is I just would just say that's poorly executed autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. It's the difference between uh, with with children, right? Saying you can choose when you you know you can choose when you go to bed, or it's bedtime. Would you like to go to bed in your red pajamas or your blue pajamas? You still have to go to bed, right? <laughs> you get a choice in how you do it. 
I wish I'd used that when my kids were a bit smaller. We might have had far fewer arguments about bedtime because I could have phrased it differently. Slightly differently. I, I'll, Slightly differently. Yeah, I'll always remember that. And it's such a, it feels like such a small difference, but I think it's really such a critical key yes. um, to, yeah, to how we manage, to how we interact with people in general and to how yes. you give people more choice and freedom in their, in their life. Yeah. What I think is also interesting about autonomy is that while we we tend to sort of think it's very important to have some sense of control over self-direction, it can be just the perception of that control that makes a difference. So you don't even actually have to have true autonomy. It's that belief that you've got some element of control even if it's minuscule for it's, example yeah, perceived perceived control is as yeah. powerful as actual control absolutely isn't it, it is. <laughs> absolutely it is and I used to see this a lot in my general practice uh, especially with some of the older cohort um, who you know sometimes sadly were no longer able to live at home and the time had come to make that horrible decision that they needed to go into aged care well, yeah. when is the greatest time when you lose autonomy? It's often at that time because all of a yeah. sudden you're no longer in control of when you get up, when you have your meals, how often you can have a bath or a shower or who does that with you and all these other things wow. taken yeah, away from you. Yeah. Massive loss of autonomy. And it's been shown that giving some, giving residents that perception, even if it's nothing major, makes a massive difference to the to the level that they live longer because they have that that feeling of control so in if you're asked because most care homes these days will say okay um welcome to whatever it is sunset homes as they get called <laughs> what color paint would you like to use on the walls in your room well, all of a sudden you're being included in a conversation about something that's very relevant to you. How would you yeah. like your furniture arranged? And you know that you've only got been allowed two items of furniture, but you've got some control over where you put your writing desk or where you put your favourite chair. Would you like to go to the first or the second sitting for dinner? Again, you still have to go at a ridiculously early time for dinner, like four <laughs> o'clock or something, but... Being given that choice all of a sudden yeah. makes it slightly easier to manage. And there was one lovely study which actually did that. They took a, an aged care home which had a first floor and a ground floor. Mm-hmm. And the people on the first floor were all given that option, which sitting would you like to go to? The people on the ground floor weren't. They were told you're either going at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock. And the yeah. other thing they were given was a plant which just sat in their room and it was the, the person's responsibility to look after that plant, to water it and talk to it and do whatever. And the difference it made by giving people just that little bit of extra autonomy was, was massive. It was something like a 40% difference in the mortality wow. rate over a 12-month period. I mean, that is insane, right? That is the power of autonomy. So we do need some, but it doesn't have to be a huge amount. So when we think about that in relation to our workplaces, how can we get better at helping individuals 
to deliver on their best and be their best because they have that sense of they're being trusted and they have the autonomy to deliver their best work. And I think if more workplaces actually understood autonomy better, we wouldn't, we would move right away from this hierarchical, you know, lead and command, which is command and finally control. going there, yeah. but got a long yeah, way to go. Um, yeah. But where where do you see autonomy working well in different workplaces? Have you seen any examples of this? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I I tried to practice it a lot. I got it really wrong in the early days. I think I got better because at, at the beginning I, I did, I made that mistake of being like, you can do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> so guess what? People did nothing. <laughs> or every time they did something, they asked me, is this okay? Is this okay? Is yeah. This? And I was yeah. like, why aren't they taking it? Why are they grasping it with both hands? And I think Sometimes when we think about people who are creating teams, you know, like right from the start, not, I'm not talking about, you know, maybe a, a well, uh, a well-established organization, but when you're more of a, say, startup mindset kind of person, you might be leaning a little bit towards that complete freedom mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very, you really have to bring that back and learning how to delegate how to delegate effectively, where the people in your care are who, um, how much support they need. Because yes. some, you know, the kind of the, the learning leadership um, uh, development kind of uh, those four squares of, uh, mm. of leadership. And s- some people need very little and some people need a whole lot and you need to kind of adjust your guidelines. But one of my favorite things that, that I personally did was we changed. So it was a customer service environment and we used to have one of the team leads dispatch the cases throughout the day. So we would have a set number of cases. You knew who was there, who could speak the language, who did those things and you would dispatch them. And then we would do that again at a, a different point of the day. And then what we did was we tried to get people to actually, we have a case queue. There's always cases coming in. That's the nature of customer service. So instead of having someone's time spent triaging essentially every case that comes in, can people be responsible for their own workload? And um, at first we didn't do it so well. Again, too much freedom. But once we got it right, our first case resolution time went down to under an hour. Wow. Um, And that is because the team knew what was expected of them. They got to choose the work they were doing. They were in, you know, they had to do an average number of cases every day so that our, so that we kept everything up other than that. um, And they were trained really well to deliver great service. And then, then they, you know, then we said, then you have to, you go in and choose the work you do. And some people would take a a big chunk all at once. And some people would do it one at a time. And some people would alternate and go, you know, they were able to kind of look and say, oh, well, this is just a quick answer. And this one takes longer. So I'm going to move this around. This one needs an answer. Now that one can wait till later, all these kinds of things. So, but it, within that construct of, you know, call center work can be quite boring. But within that construct, as you said, of being able to give them the freedom and the autonomy to do work in their own way, 
we had way better metrics. You know, we were clearing the case queue much faster than if we were directing how you got the work done because we thought this is how it should be done. Um, <clears throat> And that for me, and it's great in a call center because you can quite often measure that productivity. It's not always as, as simple. No. <laughs> uh, I wish I had more examples, actually. Um, but every time you hear a story about when you give people trust and freedom to do things in their own way, if it's done correctly, the outcome is always better everything, basically. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, Zorg actually is a really great organization, the, the Dutch care organization. And, and to your point mm -hmm. about the, um, um, the, the care outcomes, they are a self-managing organization. So they don't have managers at all. There are small teams who work together. They decide the work that needs to be done. And again, mm -hmm. they, they know what they need to do. They know who their patients mm -hmm. are. They know what their complex mm -hmm. care needs are. But some of the things that they have done exceptionally well are continuity of care. Yep. So they had, and I know that has improved outcomes, medical outcomes. So when they started, there was a real issue. There was, you know, a, a person in care might have 10 different people visiting them because one person did the shower, one person did the cooking, one person did the this, one person... And ima just imagine, as you say, if you are at that point where you've lost autonomy already, what do you do? You check out, you know? Yeah, you, you develop you you helplessness. Out. Exactly. And so what they were able to do was say, we can all do all of these. So who mm -hmm. does what? Who helps who? So they have con real continuity of care, very small teams. Every day they decide what work needs to do and who is best to do it and how best to organize it. Um, and they're hugely successful. There's 14,000, I think, nurses at Birtzorg now, and they've had uh, a huge amount of positive outcomes. But they've really? also, to your point of personal autonomy, instead of coming in and being care workers who take care of their patients or put care onto patients, they include the patients in their care. Um, and so the patients are starting to take care of themselves. So part of that self-directed leadership autonomy, and they're supporting them in the way they need. And their outcomes are brilliant. Um, yeah. It's now come over into the UK and Ireland. I think it's a fantastic model. And I think it could be applied almost anywhere, really. It definitely people know could. how to do work, don't they? Yes. <laughs> and certainly when, when I was in general practice land, um, looking after people with chronic medical illness, whether it was high blood pressure or diabetes, or they were looking after their weight or their cholesterol, whatever it was, simply telling people what to do doesn't work. Exactly. I mean, if, if people tell me what to do in that sort of situation, I've switched off, I'm not listening, and I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'll just leave her alone, will you? So it's about bringing people along with you by saying, well, you know, this is the situation. Um, this is how you can best manage it. I'm here to support you. Yeah. And all of a sudden people are going, oh, what you mean I can do this? And you go, yes. And for the most part, people are more than happy to take that self-responsibility. And if they're not, then you can just add in a bit more. But rather than yeah. doing to others, it's about saying, come along with me because I think you're actually very capable of this already. And it was Ellen Langer's work back in the 70s, I think it was. You may have heard of Ellen Langer. 
one she's done a lot of work in in the mindfulness space or uh, mindlessness space as I to call it um, and and also around the beliefs we have um particularly when it comes to what we think we're capable of at different points in our lives and I know I've been talking a lot about older age but but this is particularly relevant to this particular study because what she did well, she took a group of older men who I think were in their late 60s or 70s, something like that, mm-hmm. and put them in a house for a week. Have you heard of this story? Do you know this? I know, I haven't. I'm, I'm very it's such a wonderful um, demonstration of, you know, self-belief and capability and why autonomy is so important. Don't do things for other people if they can do it themselves. These people arrived and they were told, right, okay, you're going to be living in this house as if you were living in it 20 years ago. So you will be watching the the television, which will be television programs from 20 years ago. And we will be talking about books were published at about that time and news topics and things like that. So they were reminiscing about Mm -hmm. memories and things they did when they were 20 years younger. That was the first group. Second group came into the house and they were told, oh, and the house was decked out as if it was in the decor the, of the day. De- of the day. <laughs> of the day. And they were told um, not only would they be um, living in the house, they were encouraged to wear what they would have worn when they were 20 years younger. And most of us, <clears throat> I know I do, have clothes <laughs> in our wardrobe, which should have been tossed out a long time ago, but I still... <laughs> So, you know, they were wearing the sort of clothes that they would have worn when they were 20 years younger. And mm-hmm. they not only reminisced about things uh, that they were had been exposed to at that time, it was they were encouraged to talk about it as if it was happening in the current moment. What was interesting was before each group went into the house, they did a number of what they call biometrics. So they they looked at how well people were walking, what their grip strength was and things like that, you know, their cognition, yeah. and they were all rated. And then they had the same metrics checked again after the week. And guess what? The people who'd actually lived as if they were 20 years before, their biometrics improved out of sight because all of a sudden, wow. They were no longer being treated as 70-year-olds. They were being treated as if they were 50-year-olds and they were treating themselves as if they were 50-year-olds. And so That's all of a sudden amazing. they were walking better. They were, they were stronger. They were cognitively sharper. And it's just a question of sometimes where we put ourselves. And I think yeah. in the workplace we, we can often fall into this trap of because I'm a certain age or a certain gender or a certain um, certain skill set, I'm not capable of doing this. So giving me all this freedom to do stuff, it's it's beyond me. I can't do it. So it's mindset. Yeah. It's completely yeah. about mindset and self-belief. Yeah. When you can provide the guidelines to say, well, actually, I think you're more than capable of doing this because I have evidence that I've seen you do other things and yeah. you can – Provide the encouragement without doing it for the person so they can actually see for themselves they can do it. Boomfer. You have raised that person's capability, their competence, and their confidence. And how good is that? 
it, that's such an amazing story and it's so true and that is I think that's the piece where one of the major pieces that's missing because I think I, I genuinely think many organizations are trying to do the right things and whether yeah. it's autonomy or well-being yeah. or all of the things that we talk yeah. about but it, it's in those practice bits that <laughs> fall down sometimes you know yeah. as I did myself you know it's such a learning experience but what you describe of and it's coaching isn't it it is coaching it's coaching people to believe and to, and and actually sometimes it's just pointing out you can't say you you can't do this thing because you've already done it you, <laughs> can you see this that you've already done this thing yeah. um and just kind of opening their eyes shifting their mindset as you said to be able to actually believe that they can do these things and giving them those handles you know what I've got a lovely set of handles on my stairs oh <laughs> going upstairs I know so it, with the house the house um used to have have elderly people living in it and actually I love those you know why I know they're there and I feel safe running up the stairs carrying loads of things why? Because on the off chance that I do fall and slip or drop something or there's cats or whatever underfoot, I'm fine. Yes. And I have caught myself enough times when in the night I'm going downstairs and my cat tries to kill me <laughs> um, that I feel very comfortable. Yes. And it's it is that, again, it's perception to your point mm -hmm. of earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to touch a little bit on things that prevent people from being autonomous in the workplace. Yes. Mm. Uh, and I have one in mind, but I wonder if you have any that you can think about. Uh, I, I'll, I'll happily share. So I was, I was rereading on autonomy before we did this. And one of my old jobs uh, <laughs> in my, in my pre um, working for myself days was working a lot with technology, technology teams, and um, digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And I was rereading uh, Drive by Daniel Pink. Uh, and uh, I have experienced this, but I'll just read you what he says. And he's referring to lawyers. Um, <laughs> so he says, alas, and he's talking about lawyers, but mm -hmm. I, will, I will substitute that with digital transformation projects. Perhaps the most autonomy crushing mechanism imaginable is the billable hour. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's so true. And, oh, my goodness. The number of times I have worked with amazingly intelligent, creative, exceptional people in the digital space who have been prevented from delivering a solution because of billable hours mm. uh, is just mind-boggling to me yeah. and it permeates I know it permeates the the legal world I think it permeates the um the accounting world you said as well yes but in this digital technology world it's there as well if you're not working a billable hour then you're not doing that so what for me what that does again you're taking away people's ability to think about the work they're doing you're driving them towards a destination which is not the outcome you want. Yep. So what I what I have found is is uh, we'll get a statement of work which says a certain thing, and instead of going any deeper into that, it says you have to deliver X Y Z, and because there's a billable hour attached to it, you deliver X Y Z. Whether that supports the project, 
does what the company needs it to or anything. And, and I've seen again and again, companies, the people don't want to do this, but they're held mm-hmm. to this. What do they want to do? They want to deliver an amazing solution for the companies they're working for. And every time when you work in that context, what I see is delivering to, um, yeah, not to a behavior, but to an outcome, you know, and for me, outcomes are what should happen because of, of what you're doing, because of your, you know, your behaviors. And, uh, and that I do was so, I, I find that so stunning and, and perfectly summed up because it stops people from being able to see outside the box it stops them from th- thinking creatively stops yeah. them from problem solving in fact and that's interesting you mentioned that because I have been going through a digital challenge this Ooh. last week or so and so <laughs> I've been searching for somebody who could help me to resolve this challenge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I found somebody and I go through all the website and you know we charge by the hour okay what I've discovered is that it changes the nature of the relationship you have with the person who's trying to solve your problem. It becomes a transaction. Yes. And now oh I'm left thinking, yes. how many hours am I paying for here? Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't seem to be getting very far very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just wonder from their perspective, if they're just saying, well, I just need to tick the box and say, I've done this and this is another billable hour for me, for the company. Exactly. And, and, it, and it worries me because it, it, I don't like it. I have to say, I really yeah. don't like it. If they'd say, look, tell us what your problem is. We will do our very best to work it out. And once we know or understand what the problem is, we can give you an estimate of how long we think it's going to take us and what the associated cost would be. I'd be more than happy with that. But as soon as... The clock starts ticking immediately. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh dear, and, and I don't like it's it. So I, I like love, it. I love that example, and that's it. You're thinking about the clock. They're thinking about the clock. Yeah, and you know what? You'll probably get exactly what you asked for, which is probably know. not what you need. But when you have an autonomous team or an autonomous member of staff, there's a couple of things. One, psychological safety exists. Yes. So they can ask you questions and say, Jenny, why are you asking me for that? What do you actually want? Yeah. And if you are good and capable in your role and you know that you're allowed to ask questions, to challenge things, to not always, you know, tick a b or something like that then you might find that what you want jenny is completely different and it could be 10 times more expensive mm-hmm. or it could be one tenth as expensive exactly yes because you're because you're solving a problem mm-hmm. um, and i think if we can change that mindset from those rigid again, command and control mindsets Mm. in every aspect. You know, we've talked about it with children, you know, with adults in the workplace, you and I, (laughs) Um, if we, if we can just scrap that mindset and, 
and allow people to yeah do work in their own way mm. and achieve mm. those results mm. um but definitely not in a chaotic freedom type of way. no 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 yeah here's <laughs> a piece to the ferrari would you like to yeah, yeah, exactly. that fun? <laughs> Eek. Yeah. uh gosh what a better world it could be you know Absolutely. we might actually get what we need instead of what we want yes. <laughs> You, you asked me what I think is the, uh, a big autonomy crusher. For me, it's the micromanagement that still exists where yes. managers haven't themselves got the skill sets to know how to let go sufficiently because mm. they may have not had the training required to know how to be a, an effective manager and, and to understand that, you know, we function best when we do have that little bit of autonomy and when we have that sense that we are being trusted. Because as soon as micromanagement raises its head, the message behind it is, you don't trust me to do this. If you don't trust me, I'm not going to bother. I'm actually going to take my bat and ball home. You can stuff whatever it is you want me to do. I've, got, I've gone. So yeah. and, and, then, and then you get, you get that you, breeze. You lose people. people. And, or they're just inactive. They just are present. And if you tell them what to do, they'll do it, which is actually, it's almost worse than them leaving, isn't it? You get automation. Yeah, that nobody wants to work with, that the managers think they have to manage. And nine times out of 10, it's because they have been told, we don't trust you. We don't care what you do. Um, and, yeah, you know, essentially, we don't want your contribution. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is, it's not nice to see people, I don't know if you in your work life have experienced this, to see those people moved, moved back to just become those, yep, tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's it's, what you're devastating, for. it's devastating to see and, and it's horrible to witness that person feeling crushed. Yeah, Anything and it is, it's crushing. It, it is crushing and, and, and why would you be like that to another human being it goes back to acknowledging we do our best work when treated as grown-ups and treated as humans and then when we get that right and we recognize the importance of trust respect and autonomy things work better things work better all the magic yeah. happens yeah so what's our what's our challenge or our question to listeners this week i have one which is what could you step out of at work? You know, what do you, what are you doing that you don't actually need to be involved in? Um, and how could you leave that in a place that has, has freedom and clear guidelines? How could you leave that piece of work? Free yourself up a little bit of time. So that's my challenge. I like that challenge. I like it a lot. I think I'm going to give it a go. And I would also <laughs> add to it, um, how can you delegate more to other people rather than burdening yourself? Because, you know, we've all got too much to do. When we can learn to delegate effectively because you know that this person next to you is perfectly capable of helping and has offered to help you, say yes. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, what did you say? Yes. 
I love doing it for you. And you'll be so grateful because it's like, oh, I've just brought back myself, you know, some extra time in my day. So, yes, I think really Yeah. Great. So great challenges. And we'd love to hear from you guys. What are what are some great stories of companies that are giving autonomy? And maybe what are some stories where you've heard where people are doing it not so great? <laughs> We'd love to hear. It's a great conversation. We'd love to hear. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you again next week on Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it. And you can always get involved in the well-being conversation at all of our social links in the show notes. Until next time, stay safe. Stay happy and thrive in whatever you do.